0: Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions.
1: Hello, and welcome to Useful Idiot. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I love your Russian accent. It's good, right? Right on the money. It's awesome. Yeah.
1: Right on the rubles.
2: <laughs> yeah, the hello is very good. Uh, well, welcome to you, I'm Matt uh, Taibbi.
1: And I'm Katie Halper. How do you say Rose in Russian? Rosa. You know that's my middle name? It's Katerina Rosa. Yeah.
2: Excellent. Well, look, obviously huge, significant news event. I'd like to work backwards on it a little bit. So, you know, the, the news is full of reports now that next week, maybe as early as January 17th, but uh, perhaps also on the 19th and the 20th, there will there will be a repeat uh, of what happened at the Capitol, except it, would ha- it might happen in all 50 states. There are rumors of efforts to storm all 50 state capitals, uh, in addition to things that could happen uh, in D.C. itself. I have to say for the first time in the entire four years of Trump's tenure, I'm worried on a level Uh, like a a very severe level. My analysis of Trump and maybe maybe I was wrong, I don't know, was always that his potential for damage was always limited because he had no institutional backing. Right. Like in order to make real mischief, in order to really overturn the government and start committing massacres and, and whatever it might be, you need the Pentagon, you need the intelligence agencies, you need the organs of government. Commit
1: them here, sorry, just to clarify, to commit them here in the United States.
2: Yes, we already do it everywhere else (laughs) in the world, right, but with the imprimatur of like polite society. But to do it here, you you need those things. And Trump not only didn't have, uh, you know, sort of a a ton of backing in any of those bureaucracies, but he completely lacked the uh, ability as a person Mm -hmm to politically organize, right? Like and, he, and he, he, he lacked the ability to maintain the relationships, even with people who might potentially have yeah. that ability, like Steve Bannon, like he, he was just never able to keep it together long enough to do anything. Right. But the one thing, the one thing that Trump does have, the, the one massive sort of anti superpower that he has is his ability to impact the behavior of his followers. Right. And he he has 70 million voters and a significant portion of them are probably nuts.
1: It's not just his ability to influence his supporters. It's his unwillingness to rein them in.
2: Exactly. And, And yeah, we saw this like really early in his run for the presidency. Probably I don't know if you remember in like August of 2015, there was an incident where two guys in Boston beat up. A homeless man. And they were saying, like, you know, all these illegals should go back to Mexico or whatever it was. When they asked Trump about it, you know, he, he tried to have it both ways. He, he, first of all, he said, oh, that would be a shame if that was what they actually said. And then he said, oh, but, you know, my followers are so passionate. They really love America. And that's what you have. to So er, even very early on, we knew that, like, Trump, when presented with, like, the opportunity to try to tone down the worst instincts of his followers. But like he, he he couldn't he couldn't do it. Like he, he could he couldn't or wouldn't do it. Like he he wanted he wanted to maintain all the support from all of his nuttiest people right. uh, well, while also being you know trying to be able to say that he you know that he never said what he said, right? right. I guess the point I'm trying to make is the the one thing that the, that that Trump can do, the worst thing that he can do Is be an inciter of behavior. He he doesn't really have the ability to take over the organs of state, but he can cause mass mayhem. And you know, next week could be could be really rough if things, you know, break the wrong way. You know, that's
1: why I kind of disagreed with you and Glenn Greenwald. Remember that? You probably suppress the memory of the trauma of my disagreeing with you guys. No, but about his unique ability or willingness to use rhetoric in a way that I do think it's unprecedented. For president, when you adjust for racism, inflation, let's explain to Trump what he should do.
2: Well, it's 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 a it's a lost cause because he doesn't understand that he's he's operating as though he still has a play here, and he doesn't he doesn't understand that he's finished politically, and he's he's still playing games. Like he the the only thing he could possibly do to potentially possibly someday rehabilitate himself in society would be to come out and you know express massive contrition and just say that like you know i'm going to selflessly dedicate myself to you know the health of society going forward and and, and, and you know imploring people to to accept their exact election results and, and and not be violent he can't do that like he's, psychologically he's not capable so he has the
1: media career though that's what he's doing i'm just trying to figure out a way to encourage him uh, and I know I'm delusional and uh, imagining that to, if there are any Trump supporters out there or Trump, I mean, you are out there. But if any of you watch the show, what's was what the best thing that they could do? We want them to stay home. How would we, they could write a letter to the editor? How can they redirect their anger?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. But the, the, the absolute worst, one thing we do know is that the absolute worst thing for conservatives would be violence next week the Capitol is already going to be a 9 it's gonna be remembered as a 9-11 level event that's gonna inspire a generation of policies uh, right. designed to prevent that from ever occurring again. But that would, you know, that would pale in comparison to something like, a, you know, an armed uh, uprising on, you know, on the, around the inauguration. If actual blood got shed, if, if people right. st- pick, picked up guns and went out and stormed state capitals, I mean, the, cr- the crackdown would be basically unrelenting for a generation.
1: Like, what do you uh, think the right way to have responded, would the right response would have been?
2: Having covered things like, you know, the Republican and Democratic national conventions where they, when they really are determined to prevent a, an aggressive crowd response, they know how to do it. Right. Um, they, they put up layers of security that are impenetrable. They have lots of c- crowd control tools at their disposal. Um, and I expect that that's what's gonna happen. They've already said, in fact, that's what's gonna happen yeah. next week, that they're gonna have the usual security layering and all that. But but this goes hand in hand with the sort of next issue, which is, is the response gonna make this worse also? Right. And, uh, you know, I I think that's an unanswerable question, but I think I think it has to be asked, like taking away people's ability to whine about the election on the Internet uh, by zapping parlor. Is that going to increase the level of anger and make it more likely that we're going to see an uprising next week or is it going to decrease it? I don't don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do is, but I I, I, I worry that that, that, that's going to have a negative impact. All I can say is that uh, this is actually the worst moment of the, the, the Trump experience. What's your feeling, Katie? What do you think is going to happen next week?
1: I think we have to look at what could have been done and how we can respond to next week in a way that... Because we can respond to it, we. The government can respond to it in ways that don't require new laws or new surveillance measures.
2: Yes, or and, and even, even things that are more aggressive than that, right? Like, we've already seen... The sort of the framework of a of a new kind of you know cross cultural response to what happened at the Capitol, where it's not just the law enforcement response, which incidentally didn't seem all that aggressive, by the way. But there, but we have all these companies that are now you know researching who was involved in the protests and deciding that they're going to cut off service when. And, and this has become a cause for conservative media also, the you know, the so-called like no-fly list, right? People being kicked off the airlines and th- that sort of thing. And I, I I get refusing service to anybody who was involved in those in those protests, but the the long-term consequences, if you if you're thinking about it from the perspective of somebody who voted for Donald Trump, right, and you're thinking, my future is, is to be designated as a terrorist and to, ha- to, be in a, to live in a country where essentially I'm in, a, I'm in a social credit score system where ex post facto I, I may be rendered ineligible for a whole range of services just by virtue of my vote or whatever it is. I, I think that's only going to radicalize the situation you know
1: yeah and it's very hard it's also like i agree it's also really hard to talk about this stuff without it seeming like oh you care about these people more than the victims of their crimes i don't that's not true at all it's just like we have to look at this from a strategic perspective precisely because we recognize their danger
2: right and there was once upon a time when when i i think the the thought process of people at the upper echelon society would be how how can we uh, amp down you know the, the, the tensions and the, the passions of the population so that we don't have these mass uprisings, right? And you know what we're seeing a lot of in, in the press instead is like a lot of escalation. I just don't feel like this is a story that's going to end well. I feel, I feel like we're being incentivized to to toward conflict. Uh, and that's not to excuse what happened, but I just I just feel like there, there isn't an institutional effort to try to defuse the situation.
1: I think that he has to be impeached. We can also try to look at and anticipate the way that people will respond to that. That doesn't mean you're catering to these people or coddling them. That's and right. Trying to defuse things is a good thing. Because right. Because the victims of the things that we like, if we care about white supremacy and racism, which we do. We also have to look at what things will best. Again, it's not excusing it. It's not like people need to go to people need to go to jail for certain things that they did. Um, And I also think that uh, we can be strategic about this. And the thing that we we always say and a lot of people don't really get is that the, the more draconian measures have and always will continue to harm the people targeted by capital stormers more than anyone else.
2: Well, right. OK, so so that's a completely separate issue that we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're going to probably spend, you know, the entire period of the post-Trump era talking about because we're about to enter this sort of brave new world of, you know, Amer- American politics in the post-Trump era is going to be very much directed at the prevention of this kind of outburst right and there's there's going to be uh, enormous political energy devoted to creating new mechanisms to keep an eye on political movements uh, and you know to nip them in the bud and to delegitimize provide negative incentives for people to be associated with anybody you know who's who's involved with any of those movements And, um, you know, the tendency, as we saw with 9-11, is that these tools tend to spin out of control really, really quickly. Right. So just as an example, very early on after 9-11, the FBI started issuing tons and tons of national security letters. They're basically secret warrants to look at the communications of people and where you would go to a telecommunications provider and say, we, we want to look at every the records of this person, and you are, there's a court gag order preventing you from telling your customer that we're doing this, right. So that was supposed to be used in only isolated cases, you know, with people actually involved in terrorism, where they had a legitimate precedent, you know, reason to to do that. And they ended up using it in in one stretch, you know, like 150 times over 150,000 times over three years. Right. The no-fly list, you know, went from being kind of a small thing to a massive thing. And they, cre- they just created all these different mechanisms that kind of existed in this netherworld between uh, the visible law and, you know, the security state that were not regulatable. There was no oversight of any of it. Right. And it could go in any direction. And that's something to be worried about.
1: Yeah. Also, my fear is that, like, I mean, there are a lot of liberal... I would say like racists who didn't care about what happened after 9-11 and didn't care about the Patriot Act. And even people who were like, well, if you're not a terrorist, you have nothing to worry about if they violate your rights privacy rights and surveillance stuff. The the thing about this is that like the people who are going to initially at least be affected by this are totally
0: unsympathetic
1: unsympathetic, bad, I would say bad people. Um, But we have to be able to separate that from the, again, not just in principle, not just like a Voltairian enlightenment uh, level, but a how will this like empower and embolden and strengthen a security uh, a surveillance state, a police state, all these things that again, function mostly, mostly to harm the mar- marginalized groups, not the stormers.
2: Right, which is what we saw after nine eleven. Right. What, what tends to happen in these situations is that you, you create new mechanisms and they take on lives of their own yeah. we're already seeing that, that this that this new world is you know it's it's hard to describe it's not something where we're just going to pass legislation it's some of it is just in, you know informal um actions of private companies that you know, there there is no recourse. There's no transparency. There's no anything. You know, but I'm I'm more afraid of of uh, the enormous population of people with guns that is you know likely at some point to break out. Here's another way of putting it. During the Bush years, we saw this phenomenon in right wing media, where there was an increased amount of rhetoric directed towards uh, liberals, uh, anybody who didn't support George Bush, wasn't aggressively for the Iraq war. Uh, and we, we start to see things like, you know, Sean Hannity's book about, you know, comparing liberals to terrorists, right? And there was this sort of um, unrestrained rhetoric where suddenly people were talking about, you know, enormous numbers of just ordinary American, uh, people who didn't vote for George Bush as being equivalent to Al-Qaeda or something like that. And the, the the trap that Republicans fell into during that period is forgetting that at the end of the day, they still have to live with us, you know. Uh, and they didn't have a plan for how to get a, for how to think about people who didn't agree with them politically. All they could think about was blame. Right? They weren't thinking in the direction of like, how, how can we all occupy the same country and and live with each other? And what's, what's a way to what's a way forward? And I think they really lost themselves uh, in the in their vitriol during that time period. And people are going to kill me for making this kind con- this comparison. But I, wor- I worry about that. Um, that same thing happening now, right, like failing to make a distinction between the most radical elements of Trump supporters and, you know, everybody else that, that supported him or is a conservative or is a Republican or whatever it is. You know, at the end of the day, we still have to all live in the right. same country. And Some
1: are li- some are reachable, some are redeemable. Some aren't. Some do need to be arrested. Some do need to be incarcerated.
2: Yeah. At the end of the day, we still all do have to live here, you know. Let's just let's just hope things get better because this whole situation is just awful. And it, it it's fitting that the Trump era is going to end this way. So let's let's all let's right. do the four food groups because there's stuff that happened this week that yeah. we that that is relevant to this discussion. And all right, well we're going to do the four food groups today, in a little bit kind of reverse order because we're trying to talk about uh, some of the stuff that happened in the Capitol. So um, for Republicans suck, uh, Dan, if we could see the the tape of uh, Donald Trump's response at, uh, the, at the Andrews Air Force Base, he gave some remarks uh, where he, he finally addressed some of what happened at the Capitol.
0: Uh, it's been analyzed and people thought that what I said was totally appropriate. And if you look at what other people have said, politicians at a high level, about the riots during the summer, the horrible riots in Portland and Seattle and various other other places, that was a real problem, what they said. But they've analyzed my speech and my words and my final paragraph, my final sentence. And everybody to the T thought it was totally appropriate. Okay, thank you.
2: Okay. You know, Trump has the opportunity to try to have, like, you know, a kumbaya healing moment. And he shows once again that he he just can't do it. Like, he, he's, he's constitutionally incapable of going all the way to doing something socially responsible, you know, the, the totally appropriate line he, he has to know is going to be the headline all over the country tomorrow, that he's denying responsibility uh, for anything that happened. And, you know, it, it. it's also in addition to being stupid, it's just not true. Like there was news last week that he privately admitted to uh, in a conference call of, uh, you know, to Kevin McCarthy and some other congressional leaders that he he did uh, admit to some partial blame for what happened. This was after he tried to blame the whole thing on Antifa to those same people. But, you know, one really, really pushed. Uh, he did admit it, but in public, he couldn't do it. And this is it's it's going to massively exacerbate the situation and also basically seal his fate politically. I mean, it's not like it wasn't going to happen anyway. But this is all the evidence that anyone is ever going to need that he doesn't recognize what's happening both to him and to the country, that he's like lost his grip on the reality of the situation. I don't
1: I don't think I don't really agree. I think he knows this is a good media thing. Like, I think he knows he's not going to be a political player uh, directly. Um, But I think that this is a way for him to stay in the headlines, stay in people's hearts. You know, the people who like him are going to like him like that. He's doing this, which is disturbing. But I kind of think it's true. So I don't think he's quite as like self-destructive as you're saying, like he is. He's imploding. But I don't think his imploding is as bad a PR move. It, it, of course, some people are going to stop liking him, stop supporting him. But I also think that there's some people who love this stuff.
2: Yeah. But you know what? Uh Trump's two lowest point of his presidency, the two lowest points of Trump's presidency in terms of his approval rating overall, were after Charlottesville, and mm. now, uh, you know, he's down at thirty-four percent. You know, thirty-three percent approval, which means that he's twelve percent, maybe fourteen percent down from the summer or wh- or whatever it is, uh, and. So he's losing a significant share of the people who were converts to him and and yeah. you know those those numbers are are kind of similar to where he was in like the summer of 2016 remember when he was going after Humayun Khan the yeah. the the, the gold, you know the the soldiers family uh, yeah. and then there was the you know the the access hollywood tape but even but before that he he was plummeting in the polls. And that's when Steve Bannon came in and decided to take him on this rehabilitation tour talking about how he was a racial healer and he's going to solve all the problems. of. So he, they made a conscious decision at one point to try to to rope in Republicans who were uncomfortable with his insanity, right? They, like they made a decision to try to, to appeal to those people. Uh, and Trump has, has lost it. He, he, he doesn't know how in a moment like this to do even what a self-interested politician would do in terms of trying to preserve his reputation. Right. And, and maybe you're right. But, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is he, he's going to play to his, his most aggressive fans in the moment. Yeah. And that's part, that's where his instincts lay. Right. Um, but, you know, he didn't need to do that. Like he could have done it some other way.
1: I think it would be helpful to look at Trump's actual responses to uh, sure. what happened on the 6th.
0: I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel, but go home and go home in peace.
1: For me, that was like, I was almost surprised that he- Yeah, I
0: mean, for, for,
2: um, I mean, for, for him, him right? that's like Nelson Mandela. Like I
1: know, it was like yeah. Gandhi level. And then the question is, like, what is he what would the most effective thing be like for him to say, OK, it wasn't rigged. I didn't lose the I didn't win the election.
2: He has had moments in the past where he will make it admission like the time that he said that Barack Obama actually was born in the United States. Right. I mean, it, take, it takes forever for him to get there, but he, he will get there. Right. Yeah. You know, his insistence that the election was stolen from him. You know, probably speaks to the fact that he he might even believe that, right. you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. so, so given that, you know, that's about that's probably the best you're going to get right. out of him.
1: He also said that there's going to be an inauguration. Let's look at the next piece of evidence, please. The next thing in, in transformation video where Trump becomes more and more becomes like more like uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi.
0: I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack on the United States Capitol. Like all Americans, I am outraged by the violence, lawlessness, and mayhem. I immediately deployed the National Guard and federal law enforcement to secure the building and expel the intruders. America is and must always be a nation of law and order. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defiled the seat of American democracy. To those who engaged in the acts of violence and destruction, you do not represent our country. And to those who broke the law, you will pay. We have just been through an intense election, and emotions are high. But now, tempers must be cooled and calm restored. We must get on with the business of America. My campaign vigorously pursued every legal avenue to contest the election results. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. In so doing, I was fighting to defend American democracy. I continue to strongly believe that we must reform our election laws to verify the identity and eligibility of all voters and to ensure faith and confidence in all future elections. Now Congress has certified the results. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. This moment calls for healing and reconciliation. 2020 has been a challenging time for our people. A menacing pandemic has upended the lives of our citizens, isolated millions in their homes, damaged our economy, and claimed countless lives. Defeating this pandemic and rebuilding the greatest economy on Earth will require all of us working together. It will require a renewed emphasis on the civic values of patriotism, faith, charity, community, and family.
1: Again, I'm gonna get canceled, but I think he needs to keep saying stuff like that. Would I like him to say it wasn't stolen? Yes.
2: For him, that, that, that that's about as humane and conciliatory, um, as he can possibly be. And in another universe that might have been sold as Trump concedes is now cooperating with the incoming government. And there might have been, you know, a a sort of a propaganda push to say this whole affair is over, right? It probably Uh, would
1: be the best prop, like the best again strategic thing to exactly. do exactly right?
2: and this and this is something that i've been really struggling with how to express the whole purpose of taking donald trump off the internet is to strip him of his ability to make mischief absent the contextualizing hand of the news media right the responsible arbiters of information right now those same responsible arbiters of information have a tremendous ability to paint the picture of how we understand what happened last week. And if they had done a series of stories that were, you know, in, in massive 50 font type, you know, at the, at the 50 point type at the top of every newspaper and, and website saying, you know, Trump gives up, you know, buys in to a program of, transformation, blah, 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 then, you know, the situation might've been diffused a little bit.
1: It might be moving forward, right? You're saying, I mean, they might still do that.
2: Yeah. And and look, they'll still, they will still, they they could, they could still, and they, they, they would still move forward with impeachment with a a rational argument, which I think it's, it's reasonable at this point for them to argue that he has to be sidelined for the good of, the country, right at the, at this point, and that and that the the kind of inciting without without expressly saying uh, and drawing this drama out for as long as he did, they're going to have to pursue that no matter what. Right. But there there could have been there could have been a push by the arbiters of news in this country to try to to try to say, okay, we finally got him. He said, "Uncle," you know. Right. He's 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 leaving the scene. And even though he's nuts, he's at least, you know, gone this far. And that's good enough. And let's move on, you know? Yes. And, and you don't uh, have to praise
1: him for it. You
2: don't have to praise be, him for it.
1: If you, th- This is the thing that always kills me. It's like, if you do think he's this threat, and in many ways, as you're pointing out, Matt, and you're someone who kind of pushed back on what makes him a threat, and it's certainly not Russia stuff. Right. But- If he to the extent that he is a threat and he is and we already talked about how his his speech has a very, uh, you know, his his the combination of his uh, inciting rhetoric and his absolute refusal to ever rein people in, rein his supporters in. That means that, like, we do have to be smart about how we are reporting on this or journalists have to be smart in how they're reporting on this. And and look, we all know that they have feelings about Trump. And that's that's I mean, I think that's fine, honestly, like. And that's a different discussion, like the role of, of objectivity versus subjectivity and reporting versus in op eds and stuff. But like they've ha- expressed their feelings towards him this entire time. Why not like express them in a way that will help him step down pa- uh, peacefully?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Like the, 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 there's a there's a way to do this that would give him a political out right. a little bit more, would give his supporters a political out. Right. And you know, you you don't you don't have to make him out to be a hero, but to say you know Trump finally yeah. takes takes an appropriate step, right? Which he did. Like that's not even lying to yeah. say to say to say that that speech were for him right. significant, right? And that and that. Could have changed the narrative.
1: I think you're right that, honestly, it could have appealed to his ego. Exactly. And he could have been portrayed as a uniter. And the thing is that I just want to say, like, there's a lot of politics of condemnation. Like, that's a huge thing in both media and politics, online people, commentators, pundits. But, like, if you want, you, we have to wrestle with the fact that he and his supporters have power. That doesn't make us like them. In fact, the reason I'm so scared of him and his supporters is because I don't like them. They're scary. They also have power and their arms, right? So acknowledging that and thinking about that in the way we talk about things, I just don't think is a bad thing. It doesn't make you a, a Trump lover. Just in case anyone needs any reminders, you know, Trump is terrible. He pardoned. I mean, his pardoning. Did we talk about this? I think we. Oh, the the, the, pardoning pe- of the, the blackwater people, murders. the
2: blackwater thing, which yeah, which blew me away that when The New York Times did their story about it, it was below uh, the line about pardoning Papadopoulos. Like, oh, my God.
1: That is the per- that is The New York Times in a
2: in a nutshell, it, in a nutshell. Yeah. Like yeah, that, that
1: is the exact problem with the media's representation of Trump, like. If we the opposition and the resistance should have been highlighting things like that, the below the fold story should have been above. Right. The above should have been back pages or fine, at least just below the fold. And I also do think these things aren't mutually exclusive. I think that what he said, I mean, we can go over it, but like he did violate uh, uh, Twitter's terms of service.
2: Yes, he, he, he did. All right. So what do we have for, for Democrats? Suck?
1: OK, for Democrats, I often like to say on the show, i uh, and whenever I get the chance that Cuomo is a kind of, in many ways, he's Trump light, not in affect. although he's a little goonish. We can admit to that.
2: He's Trump but with better hair.
1: He's Trump with, be- Trump with better hair, better skin. Uh, he's a nice olive hue. And all he needs to do, all he needed to do to be seen as a hero was basically not sound like an idiot and just read updates. That's it. Just read updates so that people felt like they were being taken care of and that he had their best interests you know, in mind, of course he didn't for many reasons that we now know, uh, we knew at the time. But here's a great example uh, of a recent statement he made that kind of reveals what we're dealing with. He tweeted, We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. That's one thing he said. Another thing that he said was that uh, he's going to be. He announced a plan that includes more than one hundred and fifty pop-up concerts featuring artists such as Amy Schumer and Hugh Jackman. Socially distant performances and venues with a flexible seating and a grant program.
2: Hugh Jackman
1: will benefit over a thousand artists. Yeah, that's the big um, problem with this is the casting. Uh, who is going to come out? Would you? I would never risk my life for Hugh Jackman.
2: I don't know. I might just out of. A- out of I, like for, of, I look, race for your
1: for the tombstone
2: yeah it'd
1: be doing what he hated most watching Hugh i Jack like
2: him. i think Hugh jackman's like can't be funny
1: yeah i guess he's funny yeah
2: this this is another thing that we're going to find out in the post-trump era is how much um did we lean on trump as a propaganda mechanism to, de- to deflect criticism from people who probably should have gotten it yeah right and are, are they going to get it now that trump's going to be sidelined. We'll see. But, you know, it's the pandemic thing is crazy. Like, if you look at the statistics about, you know, there are rates of delivering vaccine to people and, and testing, it's just, everything has been so bad. And it doesn't even really seem to depend on who's the governor, who the president is. It's just it's been incompetent across the board. And I think it's yeah. also
1: he's levying fines for hospitals depending on how they deploy the vaccine, which has led to vaccine waste.
2: Oh, Um, well, yeah, I know a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it's terrible. And so, yeah, just look at it and and you'll see there's a great piece about this in Teen Vogue um, that you can read that I recommend. Andrew Cuomo is botching the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in New York. All right. Weird. Isn't that terrible? All right. So just reading at CNN and we're going to watch a video and trigger warning for real, guys. I know I make fun of that often, but this really is a trigger warning. The headline reads manatee harassment, which is a fucking understatement. Manatee harassment under investigation after the word Trump was found on an animal's back. Okay, can we play the video, please? Manatee was found with the word Trump etched on it in Florida's Homo Homosassa River. The present name seems to have been scratched onto algae on the animal's back. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services in Florida Fish and Wildlife are investigating, so it's being investigated. A $5,000 reward has been offered for information leading to a conviction in the case. Harassing a manatee is a federal crime punishable by a $50,000 fine. This is really and I couldn't that be really terrible, but it's luckily not as deep, no pun intended, as we thought.
2: Yeah, because they just wrote it in the algae.
1: Yeah. So this is almost, this is almost like, you know, this is a, isn't that, isn't that a teachable moment? You know why? This is what we're saying that they should do, Matt. What? You know what I'm saying? But this connects to what we're saying about how the media should talk about Trump. Why say it was etched into right, the back yes. that I did. You not read that thinking that it was when you first saw that headline. What did you think?
2: So I did think that someone had carved yes. Trump into the back of a manatee. And frankly, I thought that was so fucked up that I laughed.
1: <laughs> OK, yeah, that's fine. But that but that's like. You, I mean, it's like a, a, a tragic story that makes you laugh because you can't help
2: but cry. Part of you is. I mean, I mean, it's 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 like somebody trying, you know, drinking a coconut milkshake out of the head of a spotted owl or something like that. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but spotted it's like, owls
1: aren't as cute, so not quite as terrible. But yes, that's very bad. You should not right. do that. Yeah, manatees are the cutest. I mean, they're, they're so cute. cute. They're,
2: they're fat and laconic. They're fat and and yeah. Laconic.
1: yeah, I want to just hug one all the time. They could but, love but to writing, hug one and swim around with it. Writing but,
2: Trump and manatee algae is like way less hardcore than I thought that story I mean, was.
1: Honestly, but that's exactly this is I think this is so fascinating. I didn't intend this to happen, but it really is a teachable moment. We could we could how we write our headlines, right? We could be alarmist about it. And make it sound like there was a bloody scarring that happened. Or we could just say, drew on the algae. But you know, that requires media education, media literacy, because we don't know about the algae on scrawl. You know about might
2: even might even have been better, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do we know yeah. about, did you know about manatee's algae situation?
2: I didn't. No, I'm not, I'm not Me neither. very manatee literate. No. So uh, when I was researching um, the, isn't that weird for this week? I came across a, a, a great news. <laughs> news story, which was like somebody doing a, a a recap of all the weirdest news that happened in Florida last year. And since Florida is basically time ground. Time. Yeah, yeah, Florida and Texas, as my, as my father once said, there would there would not be television news magazine shows without Florida and Texas. Th- that's where like 98% of all the messed up things in America happen. So there were there were three stories that were awesome. Uh, in this one was a, a, a low speed chase involving an escaped kangaroo uh and dan if you can i think it's the second one there just just go to 324 hey somebody get the car the door behind me
1: the door oh his tail tight you know you know
0: hold on let me get his tail i think it's his tail in there okay. hold up.
2: Did
1: that hop from Australia or
2: what? I don't know. It escaped from somebody's house. Uh, there was another great story uh, where <laughs> these, which is like a one of my favorite genres of news stories, is the is the uh, dumb drug smuggler. And uh, in <laughs> in Florida, they had these guys who got caught in the um, in the uh, panhandle, and they were driving 95 miles an hour. Uh, and when the cops did a search, Dan, I think if you open up the first one. You can see what they were carrying. Uh Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. Package labeled bag full of drugs leads to Florida arrest. So like, uh, you know, memo to drug dealers. don't put your drugs in a package that reads bag full of drugs. Uh. Do
1: you think they thought it, would like, it was a psych? It was like a psych move? Like, you're never going to look in here.
2: I don't know. The, the cops had a lot of fun with it, though. They were talking about, hey, you should never do that because, you know, our dogs can read. The last one, Dan, if you could call it, this is, this is my favorite. When you get a check engine light go on in your car... You never know. It could be this. Crews removed 10-foot Burmese python found under hood of Mustang in Dania Beach. Basically, this guy tried to turn his car over, uh, and the check engine light went on. He checked the engine, and there was a 10-foot python wrapped around the engine block. Was it alive? Yes. Yeah, so next time your check engine light goes on, beware that when you open the hood, it (laughs) may... It might it might be a large animal actually yeah. just wrapped her, wrapped around your engine block. Anyway, Florida, always good for laughs. Always good for uh, laughs. Yeah, so that's that's our, isn't that weird yeah. on this terrible week? Uh, all right, Katie, the, uh, you got Bodhi there. How, how has Bodhi helped you get through the pandemic?
1: And for people who are only listening and not watching, Bodhi is a little adorable Lhasa Apsa. She's a rescue, uh, and she looks remarkably like an Ewok. So how has she helped me get through the uh, pandemic? Well... She's a therapy like she's become a therapy dog. I mean, she's a cuddly little creature and you know, I have human, some I'm I'm blessed with some human contact, but not that many people and of course I can't cuddle with a lot of people, but I can cuddle with her. Listen to her. Like listen, she's so excited. Listen. What, Bodie? Oh, she's upset that she doesn't get to test the products.
2: Well, Katie, if you didn't know, from the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart has been an essential retailer, making sure that you get everything that uh your pet Bodie needs right when you needed it at, a, at over uh, 1600 convenient locations. So just in case you you need to, you wanted to know what what goes on at PetSmart stores. They have cleaning and disinfecting protocols where they follow CDC recommendations. Everybody wears face coverings or masks, they required for employees and for pet parents. You're a pet parent, right? I yeah, guess that or counts. Or
1: sister, kind of sister, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's floor decals, signage, and new pro- protocols that, that reinforce social distancing requirements. So if you're in a daze, you've been hit over the head, you've been taking like lots of drugs, and you forget that you got to do social distancing, uh-huh. you can look down at the floor and it reminds you, what happened?
1: <laughs> this is going to be the best ad, honestly. OK, she's free. Sorry. She's free? Yeah, definitely.
2: she didn't want to be part of this. So then they got they got, they got plexiglass shields that are up with their registers and uh, they're up there in the salon and pets hotel lobbies as well. Uh, they have stores and grooming salons that offer digital check in curbside drop off and pickup and contactless payment. Uh, PetSmart has responded to the unprecedented demand for contactless shopping by adding curbside pickup for or for website or app orders. Uh, and now... PetSmart offers free same day delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st 2021, if we actually make it to that day in our history. Uh, So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door and right when you need it.
1: Also, they really apparently, apparently PetSmart associates really love pets and caring for them is a big part of why they work there. And as an essential retailer since the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart has made it safe and easy for you to care for your pet too, online or in stores.
2: Yeah, PetSmart, the health and safety of employees, pet parents and pets is what's most important, which is why they require face coverings, support social distancing, uh, and have installed plexiglass shields and enhanced cleaning to follow CDC recommendations, which I think we said already, but that's okay. Yeah,
1: you got to drive it home. You, you know? got to
2: drive it home because people forget. Or if you're interested in contactless shopping, just order online at PetSmart.com or in the PetSmart app. And enjoy that easy curbside pickup or free same day of delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st. So you can get everything your pet needs really without having to talk to a person or interact with Barely, the person. You yeah, can just click, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes right to your door and right when you need it. And then just check out Petsmart.com for more details. All right. So we're going to our, our guest today is from the World Socialist website. His name is Andre Damon. And um, we wanted to have him on for a couple of reasons. He's somebody I've interviewed before in the past a couple of times um, on the issue of tech censorship and things that are going on in internet platforms because both uh, he personally and the World Socialist website has played kind of an unusual role, and that's in the story. They've they've been kind of front and center uh, at propagandizing some of these issues uh, from the start. Uh, they did a lot of research on it. And, and I think, you know, Katie and I both, We're interested in trying to, I guess, remind people that uh, this is not an issue that entirely only affects uh, the right. In fact, uh, if you go back and look at the genesis of some of these, some of these issues, you know, historically, always speech crackdowns in America almost always involve socialists or communists. Yeah. Uh, But even even with this speech moderation era, there it it began with a lot of sort of alt and alternative and socialist sites. And, you know, they, they were one of the first people to among the first people to right. notice that.
1: So. And also, as you know, you guys should check out uh, if you ha- if you haven't already seen or listened to it. We did a great show with Ali Abunima right. from Electronic Intifada, where he talks about how all these things bite um, the left and bite Palestinian activists in the ass. And they yeah, Facebook just deactivates well, the- against left and right.
2: The Palestinians are like the canaries in the coal mine. Like whatever like new technique for clamping down on speech is gonna happen, like it happens to Palestinians first almost every single time. Yeah.
1: Or the but same then time. and the
2: double whammy is a Palestinian leftist. Oh, uh yeah, forget it. yeah, so forget it. But uh, but anyway, Andre's an interesting guy. They've done a lot of interesting work at the site in the last four years, and we wanted to hear his reaction to what happened with all the tech stuff that happened last week. and then also so just for people who don't know what happened, like there was a, a whole series of things that ha- that took place. Uh, Donald Trump was obviously permanently removed from Twitter. I think the more significant story was involved Parler, which is a which was created as kind of a free speech app uh, to be an alternative to Twitter, and it was um, essentially uh, removed from the internet when Apple google and amazon kind of simultaneously and clearly in coordination went to parlor and told them that if they had 24 hours to start moderating content or else they would be to
1: start moderating it
2: yeah to start moderating yeah or else they would be removed and um you know the 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 issue there is that it it uh, you know these are it shows the monopoly concentration of these companies, like you, you, you just can't have an app in a universe where basically everybody gets their information either from an Android or or an iPhone. Uh, so um, that was a significant development, and yeah. then there were there were some other things that happened. But you know, I don't know what his feelings about that will be. But let's talk to Andre about the history of all this and their take on it and some other things. Welcome to Useful Idiots, uh, Andre Damon from the World Socialist Website. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Well, WSWS. <laughs> That's yes.
2: right. That's right. We have a lot we wanted to talk about today. We were really interested to talk to you because there have been a tremendous, um, there's been a, tr- uh, a lot of developments uh, on, in the area of content moderation, sort of big tech uh, regulation of speech. <laughs> and uh, you, you have a really interesting role in this issue because you are among the first people uh, in the entire media landscape to really pay attention to uh, to some of these issues. Uh, I wonder if you could just sort of start with how the World Socialist website came to be interested in the whole question of content moderation uh, as far as the big platforms go.
3: Yes, uh, well, um, in uh, July of 2017, uh, we noticed that search traffic to the world socialist website had fallen by approximately seventy five percent in the span of just a, a few months uh, and when we started investigating this what was was behind this, uh, we also found that traffic to left wing websites uh, anti war progressive left wing websites had also plunged by a similar amount in that in that time frame uh, and what we uh, st- as we were researching this, uh, we came across a blog post by uh, Ben Gomez, the at the time the the VP of Search for Google, uh, who said that Google's uh, was implementing a change to its algorithm, uh, which subsequently became known as Project Owl, uh, aimed to surface what they call authoritative content, and uh, they published a a protocol for the reviewers of of Articles or of, of searches, basically, they they had a group of people evaluating their, their search results, and they said that basically, if if you have an alternative viewpoint uh, that comes up in, in a search, that search is not working well, uh, and that, that search should be poorly poorly scored, and basically, the algorithm should should you know basically demote alternative viewpoints and promote what what uh, Google called authoritative viewpoints. Of course, that being the New York Times, Washington Post. So we put two and two together, both the collapse and the search traffic of, of the World Socialist website and o- other left-wing sites. The actions that that Google uh, has taken uh, or announced that it was taking in terms of changes to their, their search algorithm. And we launched a campaign to oppose this. We published an open letter to Google demanding that that Google end the censorship of, of left-wing anti-war and progressive sites. Uh, and... Uh, Lo and behold, uh, last year, just in, in the course of the, the past two months, uh, Google made a shocking admission. I mean, in, in all the press interviews with them on this question, they said, "No, we don't carry out censorship. We, do, we don't we don't take into consideration the political viewpoints of of the the publications where where we rank them." Uh, they Google admitted it was it was asked specifically by a member of Congress. Um, the CEO of Google uh, was was asked, "Can you name?" Uh, a left-wing website that you've censored. And, and he, he replied, the World Socialist Review, uh, meaning, of course, he's a, for whatever reason, it was, if you Google World Socialist Review, the first two results are the World Socialist website. Uh, it was an admission, frankly, that, you know, he said there was a compliance issue with the World Socialist Review.
2: Yeah, it was very strange language that he responded with, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. He's used that twice
3: because he's mentioned the World Socialist Review, you know, uh, twice. But uh, it's it's clearly uh, in response to the the campaign that we've launched in opposition to Google's efforts to censor not only the the World Socialist website but other left wing uh, organizations.
1: Also, just to clarify, because there's so much intra-left uh, feuding and beefing, I think you're probably aware of some of that. Um, the the sites that were were targeted uh, were, you know, besides World Sources Website, was uh, things like Alternet, right? Media mm-hmm. Matters, you know, yes. which is a Democracy Now. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, just to you know, Media Matters is pretty. It's like a blue dem, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's literally a David Brock house. Yeah. Um, so, just so people get the sense of the of the range of, of sites, yeah, so it was very um, broad. yeah, Not
2: and, just, yeah. And, and, and this this whole uh, issue of authority, yeah. which is a, a a very amorphous term and very hard to define. And I, I mean I, I did a story on this, and um, I asked them repeatedly to explain how how they came about their definition of authority, but it's based on this idea where they they, they give people a survey, right? And they ask them to rate what they believe are authoritative sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how they come up with this definition of what an, author- uh, an authority is. And so, like, the ex- example they gave me was in the, in the old days, if you did a search on baseball, you'd, like, your local little league might come up. And now it would be MLB.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was kind of an end around to, to sort of push down alternative uh, sites in, in, the in, in the end run, right? I mean, that's what happened, uh, ultimately.
3: Well, I, I think, uh, you know, in, the, in this case, uh, the, the example of the New York Times 1619 project is really telling. Because, you know, whatever the, the, the rationalization that, that Google and other uh, technologies companies uh, used to censor uh, left-wing political and news organizations uh the fact was that they were basically uh, promoting the, the the viewpoints of the political establishment and and de- demoting left wing political viewpoints even under conditions in which uh as in the 1619 project the new york times uh you know the 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 sort of flagship publication of the, the democratic party uh the so called newspaper of record uh was waging a campaign against basically uh the entire uh, authoritative narrative of what American history was, uh, and, and specifically, you know, the, the claim that uh, the American Revolution was essentially an insurrection of slaveholders uh, aiming to defend the institution of, of slavery, uh, that African-Americans and uh, blacks in the United States fought alone. Uh, and both of these, these claims uh, were, were belied uh, or, or completely, totally refuted uh, by a, a series of the uh, some of the most renowned historians of American history, uh, in, including uh, Gordon Wood, uh, James uh, James Oakes, uh, McPherson, and others, uh, who had interviews on the World Socialist Website, and the World Socialist Website was the first um, really new, news media outlet to seriously criticize uh, the 1619 Project. And we we had interviews with with all of these historians in which they they really demolished the central arguments of the 1619 project that the, uh, that, that the true founding was, was the beginning of, of slavery in the United States. Um, and yet, if you search for a 1619 project, I haven't done, uh, done the, the, checked it in the, the past few weeks, but the last time uh, we did, you know, basically we, we had this discussion, uh, you would not find the interviews with uh, Oakes, Wood, McPherson, anywhere in the top, you know, 30, 40 uh, results. And they were yeah. the, the authoritative viewpoints on, on this question.
2: Right. So basically, what you're saying is that the definition of authority is extremely malleable when it yeah. when it comes right down to it. Right. And who takes
1: the survey to, to determine this, Matt? That you mentioned. Uh,
2: they they did a they do like a, a they have this thing you can actually find it online, and I think they did just do a basic survey of users. We should uh, do it. Uh, yeah, we should, we should we should do it. Yeah, um, but but basically, your uh, discovery basically was that this new formula, this Project OWL formula, was having the impact of systematically pushing down the search results for alternative media and especially left-wing media. Uh, and your your research was received well enough that you actually got the New York Times to do uh, a story about it. Uh, didn't that actually happen? Was that in late? Yes. Two? Okay.
3: Yes. Uh, and, and they, they published uh, dutifully Google's rebuttal that uh, Google, uh, you know, Google does not take into account the political viewpoints of of, uh, of, of organizations and determining what's authoritative and what's what's not. And of course, you know, subsequently they said, you know, a congressman said, give me a a left wing organization that you've censored. And they say the World Socialist Review slash World Socialist website.
1: I mean, I don't know if we want to get into this now. The question of censorship and what defines censorship, right? Because a lot of people will say, oh, it's not censorship because you have the right to say what you want, just not on this thing. Or, you know, Google has the right to do what they want to do. Facebook has the right to do what they want to do, et cetera, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. um, both of you uh, are much more expert in this field. But I just wanted to make sure because I I know that a lot of viewers and listeners have that.
2: Well, sure. What's 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 your response, Andre, to that to that retort, which is very common now uh, online, that uh, these are private platforms. They have the right to do what they want uh, when it comes to speech.
3: Well, we we don't accept that that rationality. Uh, We don't accept that uh, that argument. Uh, and, and the fact is that, um, when, with regard to this whole campaign of against uh, what what uh, figures such as Mark Warner and Adam Schiff called, you know, extremist uh, you know viewpoints, extreme viewpoints, uh, of which in which they, they put left wing and socialist viewpoints in that category, that whole campaign uh, was in fact instigated uh, by by members of of Congress. Uh, and there have been repeated hearings that if you search on the World Socialist website for you know, hearings uh, in Washington on, on censorship, you'll find probably dozens of articles, including some where we, we reported uh, directly from Washington on these hearings, uh, in which the members of Congress uh, demanded that uh, Google, uh, Twitter, Facebook suppress oppositional viewpoints uh, and uh, effectively carry out censorship. And if, if con- you know, the, these members of Congress say, OK, uh, these corporations have to suppress left wing views uh, that I mean, uh, the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law uh, you know, prohibiting the, the freedom of expression. Well, if you've got Congress putting pressure on, on these corporations saying you have to do this, I mean, it, it, clearly it is a campaign of, of, of censorship uh, and, it, and it must be opposed.
1: Yeah. And also, I think there's a big um, confusion around what these um, sites it's kind of like with capitalism and the alleged invisible hand. Right. Where it's like this is just free marketplace of ideas, free marketplace of and capitalism, just free market. Um, no intervention. But obviously, there's so many laws that are passed right to to make capitalism work the way it does. I mean, that's a, a larger discussion, but there is a parallel with it's not just like. Google or Facebook are hands off and letting, you know, the, the cards fall as they may. Like it, there's a difference between like, well, let's le- let's say fair big tech and interventionist big tech and elevating certain things and suppressing other things.
3: Well, just on, on that point, that I mean, the fact is that private companies cannot just do whatever they want. I mean, UPS cannot say, OK, because of your ethnicity or because of your political viewpoints, we will not deliver your mail. You know,
1: it, the, that's why my mail is so slow uh, lately. Sorry? <laughs> that's why my mail is so slow. They're on to me and my ideas. <laughs> yeah, no, but the, the
3: fact, <laughs> right. Well, the, I mean, the, the fact is that, you know, you, you can't say if you if you operate a, you know, a, a, a restaurant, you can't say, OK, I don't I don't uh, allow people of a particular ethnicity uh, to, to be seated in, in my restaurant. I mean, they, these these uh, companies uh, f- carry out a vital communications uh Need in society. Uh, and, and basically, they, they have a, a requirement uh, to protect the freedom of expression of, of uh, people using their, their platforms.
2: Or at the very least, not be discriminatory. Right?
3: Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. So, in the context of all that, uh, what would you say to people who are, are now cheering? You know, the, there, there have been some pretty dramatic moves just in the last. Couple of weeks. I think the most the most significant for me was what happened with Parler, and I'm I've never been on Parler. I've uh, I've never uh, I don't know I don't know actually know anybody who goes on Parler. But the the significance of basically two or three companies being able to completely remove a platform in you know the, uh, the space of a couple of days. What what do you see as the implication? Uh, or, 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 what, what do you think the implications might be of the th- of the events of the last couple of weeks for speech generally going forward?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, this is a, a more complicated question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wanted to just uh, read to the the uh, the statement uh, published by uh, Joe Shore and, and David North uh, in the World Socialist website in, in the aftermath of the uh, alleged or uh, of the attempted coup uh, in, in Washington. Uh, Specifically replying to uh, those who say that the greatest issue now is the fact that uh, Twitter has removed Donald Trump's account and that, you know, this is this is the sort of the spearhead of of censorship, uh, the removal of of Trump's Twitter account. Uh, And we replied, Trump is not merely an individual, let alone the representative of a dissident, progressive and left wing movement. He is the commander in chief of the armed forces of the United States with staggering power at his disposal, including the power to launch a nuclear war as long as he is president. To insist on his unfettered access to Twitter and social media so that he can mobilize and incite his fascistic followers throughout the country, as if this were a critical free speech issue, is politically irresponsible, if not insane. And if it is impermissible to shut down his Twitter account, it must be doubly impermissible to demand his immediate removal from the White House and arrest. Uh, so I really you know, we really draw a distinction uh, between the censorship of left wing political organizations uh, and the, the action taken by by Twitter uh, to remove uh, Trump's uh, Trump's Twitter account. Under conditions where he is actively inciting uh, violence against his political opponents and attempting to to overthrow uh, democratic forms in, in the United States, we, we do draw a distinction on that. Uh, we do not think that the, the central you know demand of, of left wing uh, organizations, and certainly our central demand is not hands off Donald Trump giving back his Twitter account.:
1: It seems like there's a distinction between the president, and non-president, I, I'm, I find it as a, a leftist, I find it tempting to say there's a difference between the left and the right. But I think that's like a kind of murky line. Um, but with Trump, it seems like what's very straightforward is that uh, you could you know, it's already elite, right. It's already violates terms of service to incite violence. Right. And the argument is that he has been doing that.
3: Well, c- certainly, that's that's one argument. Uh, there is also the argument that he's actively mobilizing or has attempted to, with, in regard to the the coup attempt, uh, mobilize an, an insurrection to overthrow uh, democratic forms of the in the United States. I mean, we in in all of our political analysis, the World Socialist Website s- seeks to articulate the independent social interests of the working class, and we want has to ask, what was the program? upon which the, the forces that entered the Capitol were mobilized. These were these forces which were rallied around opposition to measures that were necessary to contain the pandemic. Uh, they, they were mobilized on the policy of herd immunity, you know, let it rip, or as, the, the, as one memo in the, in the White House said, you know, we want them infected uh, you know, to allow COVID-19 to spread basically unchecked in, in the population. And ultimately why? What what social forces did did these individuals speak for? Ultimately, the policy of of herd immunity, of doing nothing to contain the pandemic, is expressive of the interests of the financial oligarchy, who says, uh, basically, there is no money to contain the pandemic. I I just wanted to to cite the statements of of Andrew Cuomo uh, recently. I don't know if you've, you've seen these, in which he said, we simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, et cetera. And, and the fact is that this is, this is a bipartisan policy supported by, by both, both parties. And the most explicit proponents of this policy uh, were, were, the figure, were the forces mobilized by, by Trump. Uh, and frankly, you know, we, we seek to warn the working class uh, against uh, of the danger posed by both this bipartisan policy and the forces that that Trump is 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 mobilizing. So the entire discussion really needs to be seen in in that context.
2: Well, how how should it be structured then? I mean, like what what's your idea of of, of how best to balance the issue the 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 uh, interests of society at large uh, while also preserving basic speech rights. I mean, we're we're in a new environment we had hundreds of years of uh, of legal precedents that were designed for a world where at, at best the, the the forms of media were either broadcast or print uh, this is a completely new universe uh, how, how should it work in your opinion and what's the best way to protect uh, speech rights for people going forward
3: well again you know we we see this issue from a partisan uh, standpoint uh, Matt you, you of course you have the this- it's, uh, you, you had your uh, piece. Uh, we need a media, new media system in which you t- talked about, you know, uh, the need for, for media to be uh, impartial. Once, in many ways, the the, the world social, the approach of the world socialist website is is uh, in many ways the opposite approach. We make we make no bones about the fact that we are socialists and we speak for the social interests of the, of the working class, and that is what we what we proceed from. That w- we have to. From the standpoint of our our opposition to censorship against left-wing political viewpoints, our starting point was that the working class needs to have access to information. It needs to be able to know what is happening. That's why we have made such an enormous issue, as as you have, of the persecution of Julian Assange. Julian Assange exposed to the world the crimes of American imperialism. The fact that, that tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, civilians, had been killed in, in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. And in, in exchange or in, in punishment for this, uh, he has been imprisoned, effectively arbitrarily detained, tortured. Uh, the, the latest was that the, the heat was off in, in Belmarsh prison. You know, and we seek to mobilize the working class in defense of its democratic rights, of its right to know the truth. Uh, and from the standpoint of censorship, we oppose censorship from the standpoint that this is ultimately targeted at left wing political opposition.
2: How do you perceive what happened last week politically? Like, I mean, you, what, what, what's what's your take? What's the socialist take on the conditions that led to uh, the current crisis?
3: Well, I think what has happened in the United States, uh, first off, is is uh, a historical event the 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 idea that American democracy is is permanent and impregnable that the entire American political establishment is committed to democratic forms of government that capitalism equals uh, democracy I think really has has been been shattered. there's a, a quote by Jacobin magazine which i I wanted to uh, cite they, they, they write, the takeover of the Capitol has laid bare the lack of backing, both among corporate elites and within state institutions, for far right authoritarianism. Capital, it seems, is still committed to liberal democracy, which has served to safeguard its interests throughout American history. Well, frankly, I think that that, that argument is extremely tenuous. And, and the, 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 what has to be drawn uh, from the events of the past week is that democratic rights in the United States are in danger and and no one can be blind to this this danger. And and we have sought to alert the working class, uh, both of the dangers posed by Trump, but the fact is that Trump is is a manifestation of this this broader crisis. The pandemic has deeply destabilized social relations in the United States and American society, American political life. The policy that has been adopted is, as, as Thomas Friedman in the New York Times, who, who started this, this argument, has argued, the cure cannot be worse than the disease. Of course, this was taken up by Donald Trump within 24 hours. And that argument is basically that the economic consequences to Wall Street are, cannot be allowed to uh, impinge upon the, or can, cannot be, are, are more important than the defense of human life. That is, if people need to die for Wall Street, and people will die for Wall Street. This argument that that uh, Andrew Cuomo made—that there is no money to to preserve human human life—is belied by the fact that uh, Elon Musk is now worth two hundred billion dollars. I mean, he is he has made one hundred and seventy billion dollars over the course of the the past year. I mean, I think it was it was you, man, who coined the term "vampire squid." I mean, that. that almost pales in comparison to the massive upward redistribution of wealth that has taken place over the course of the past year in, in response to the pandemic. The policy has been uh, nothing can interrupt the accumulation of profits for, for Wall Street. That's why there were, there were trillions of dollars handed out to the banks through the, through, uh, the Fed, through the provisions in, in the CARES Act. Uh, meanwhile, you know, in terms of actual measures to, for testing, contact tracing, Quarantining people, providing for healthcare, the amount of funding was in the, the tens of, of of billions of dollars. So it was like one or two or three percent of, of the total amount of money that was provided uh, for Wall Street And we are we are seeking to to articulate a program for the working class to intervene in this. And we say, you know, to the extent that, that workers don't don't politically mobilize on, on the basis of an independent perspective to defend their own interests, uh, this this will continue. So that's that's the background. Massive social inequality, the death of half a million people. I mean, yesterday, over 4000 people died from from COVID-19. Uh, and, you know, the, Biden's own uh, health advisor, Michael Osterholm, he, he made the proposal. Look, there has to be a, a temporary shutdown of non-essential production. He, I think he said six to eight weeks. Everybody has to be paid. That's how you contain the pandemic and save save human lives. That has is gone. Nobody is arguing that, you know, politically outside of, of the World Socialist website and Socialist Equality Party. Um, and that's that's what we're we're, I mean, from the standpoint of organized political opposition. And that we're trying to mobilize a response of the working class to this entire, you know, this this entire setup. That is the policy of the pandemic, social inequality. And we see the attack on democratic rights, both from Trump and from all sections of the political establishment within that framework.
2: Okay, so so given the rising amount of inequality and we've seen this growing for quite some time now, but it's been accelerated significantly in the last year, as you point out by the pandemic. First of all, has there been um, a surge in interest in your site and your movement Uh, and how has that expressed itself? And also, do you, do you think that the, the, the people uh, who are the biggest proponents of liberal democracy, the Democratic Party, Democratic establishment, do you think that they are blind to, to these realities or that they're in a bubble, they don't, they don't see it? Or do you think they are aware of it and that this is just the only way that they can think to deal with it?
3: Well, I think, I think that's a critical question. Uh, I'll, I'll take you know, both of those. Uh, first off, with regard to the, the growing interest, yes, absolutely. I mean, despite the fact that, that you know, you, you do individual uh, searches and, and you know, material, for instance, for the 1619 project comes up so low. This, despite that, uh, interest and readership on the World Socialist website is growing very, very significantly uh, year after year. We've published some statistics in terms of the millions of people who have, have come to the World Socialist website who are reading articles on the pandemic, on the social crisis, and particularly the conditions in in factories and and workplaces. Uh, So interest is certainly just in terms of readership is, is, is very much growing. I think perhaps the greatest manifestation of that, and if you search the WSWS for rank and file committees, more and more among sections of the working class, among auto workers, manufacturing workers, healthcare workers, educators, all over the country, and in fact, internationally, Workers are, in in working with the Socialist Equality Party uh, and coordinating through the World Socialist website, setting up rank-and-file committees. That is, workers' committees uh, committed to defending their safety and their social interests independent of the entire political establishment, independent of the the trade unions, uh, and on the basis of an independent, you know, opposition, ultimately, to capitalism. Uh, So I think that's perhaps the, the most significant manifestation of that opposition. With regard to, you know, is, is Joe Biden blind to, 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 you know, these sentiments in the population? I think he's very conscious of them. I think that, that uh, the Democratic Party is very conscious of the fact that there, there is growing opposition to capitalism. Why was it that Donald Trump attempted to overthrow democratic forms of government in the United States, And the first response of Joe Biden is we need the Republican Party. We need this opposition party. Why? Because ultimately, Biden's position is you have to keep the businesses open. You have to keep the schools open. You have to keep generating profits for Wall Street. And this this two party framework creates this sort of right wing basis uh, for the continuation of of these types of policies. You know, there's Biden's central concern is that the Republicans continue to set sort of the the tone, set the agenda. That's why they've all they're working to set up some sort of political settlement with them, some sort of political compromise uh, in which they continue to be a major force in American political life. Because what Biden is most afraid of is not what Trump's attacks on democratic rights what Biden is most afraid of is that this will trigger a immense outpouring of opposition in the working class. And that's why there's this effort to, to cover this up, sweep it under the rug, say, move on. You know, the, the line is our Republican colleagues, our Republican friends under conditions where most of the members of Congress uh, that are Republicans did not accept the election and attempted to, to overthrow it. And so what we're trying to do is to create a different political framework. That is the mobilization of the working class to intervene into this crisis. It is urgently necessary. There are 10 million fewer jobs now uh, than there, there were a year ago. Hundreds of thousands are dead. Thousands are dying every single day. And we say that that is because of the fact that the working class has no voice in political life. And we're fighting to change that.
2: All right. So, so in conjunction with, with the sort of rising problems of inequality, and you, go, you can go all the way back to Occupy Wall Street when this started to become part of kind of pop culture uh, discussions, there, there is a sort of growing spectrum of people who would identify themselves as left or leftists. How do you define all those those folks? Like, what's your take on the Democratic Socialists of America? What what's your take on, for instance, somebody like um, Elizabeth Warren, who presented herself as left of center and as an opponent of, uh, you know, the excesses of corporate capitalism? Although she called us, she she was careful to identify herself as a capitalist, capitalist to the bone, to the bone, right? Exactly. Uh, and then everyone in between, because there, it's you know as with everything in else else in America everything gets commoditized including you know leftist political views i just was curious as as the sort of the true north star of actual socialism what's what's your take on this whole spectrum
3: well you raise specifically uh the the democratic socialists of of america um we believe that the, the democratic socialists of america are basically a wing of the the democratic party uh you know it's sort of like uh, Almost an astroturf operation for, for, for the Democrats in the sense that, that the, the greatest the greatest task that they present themselves is to subordinate working class opposition, opposition among young people, among broad sections of the population to the Democratic Party to say okay you can, you should not build an independent political organization you should support democratic candidates you know AOC Sanders etc one one or the other you know and invariably what is the lesson of the sanders experience i mean it happened twice now he 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 conveniently withdraws under to allow the, the opposition to uh you know bas- basically the, the consolidation of the democratic field under under uh biden uh you know he he endorses biden He's a, a right wing, absolutely right wing candidate, and it happens over and over and over again. They 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 use these figures, such as Sanders, such as ocasio Cortez, to claim that there is a a progressive you know constituency within the Democratic Party. But the actual policies of the Democratic Party, if you if you go through you know the, the entire lessons of, of Clinton, of, of, of Obama, what what were the policies under under Clinton? You know the ending of, of Glass steagall the, the complete deregulation of the financial system, setting setting the stage for the crash of two thousand eight. Mass imprisonment, war under Obama, drone murder. You know the the bailout of the banks to the tune of trillions of dollars. You know the the uh, what was Obama's cabinet? Timothy Geithner. You know,
1: and and it just, you know, it's just that's not fair. Of, he also had very good people like Larry Summers working with him. <laughs> right.
2: Th- thank you for that clarification. <laughs> no no but uh, okay so uh, getting back to sanders this is somebody this is a question I'm, that's very close to katie's heart uh and and mine you know I, I go, he's I go, a closeted I, I, Sanders. yeah
1: stand. i'm a,
2: a closeted. so but but uh, Sa- sanders always struck me as someone who was i think very sincerely focused on trying to uh, propagandize the message of corporate power uh, and how it had to be combated do you see him as somebody who was just had an error of judgment about the right tactics to pursue, or do you do you do you, see, do you view him in some other way?
3: Well, I think, frankly, you know, there there are many people who support Sanders for for all the the right reasons uh, because you know he, he, his yeah his st- statement about you know the billionaire class with social inequality that obviously resonated with with uh, uh, millions of people in the, in the United States. However, we believe that his political program, what is, what is his actual political program? The reform of the Democratic Party, just like Corbyn's program was the reform of the Labour Party. We believe that is destined to fail. We believe that there is no, you know, there is no avenue for that. We believe that there has to be a different social constituency because, you know, you, 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 you mentioned Trotskyism. We are Marxists. We seek to articulate a political program for a social class. That is, for the working class we seek to break the working class free from the the party of goldman sachs and wall street and the military and the cia and we say look the, the, there there has the democratic party has to be opposed and there it can't be it can't be reformed or renewed why this attachment to the sclerotic you know the, the party of the copperheads you know, it was uh, 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 the, the sort of the, the, the political wing of the KKK in the 19th century. Why, why, why is this the avenue for all social grievances, for all social opposition? And we simply disagree with that perspective. And we think that that's a perspective that leads to disaster and disarming the working class. You know, you, you say there's a, a lot of, of conflict on, on the left. Well, we believe that there, there are objective reasons for that conflict. We believe that there are real disagreements over, over policy. And we seek to articulate what we, we view as the independent interests of the working class. And in our view, and this is, a, I think, a central di- differentiation, we fight constantly against the subordination to the, the Democratic Party. We do not endorse Democratic candidates. Uh, you know, we, we do not support them. We say that, that the working class needs its own political organization to articulate its own views. That's the best way that I can try to sum up those those differences, which are very real and very objective. And we feel that more and more uh, people will come to the conclusion that ultimately reforming the Democratic Party simply cannot happen.
1: So what I know what the focus of this was going to be kind of censorship and free speech, but um and big tech and uh, all those great things, but I mean, I, I guess the big question is, and I'm, I'm i know I'm not like breaking new ground here—is uh, yeah, the, the Democratic Party is rotten, and what do we do in the meantime? I'm uh, with electoral politics. I mean, probably a lot of people say abandon them, but I think that people are—I mean, do you think Trump is 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 worse than Biden? I'm not yeah. saying this in a okay. You do, yeah. So how how do things like how do we if Trump is worse than Biden? How do we you know both engage in electoral politics in a way that gets Trump out of office um, and also uh, tries to achieve these larger goals. Because I do think that the Democratic Party is rotten. I think that we can't replace it now or uh, provide a I don't see a viable third party. I'm not saying we can't build one, but I guess like to speak to the the needs of the working class for a lot of people, you know, it's like, okay, the Dems may not be working, um, but what is to be done? to quote our mm-hmm. good friend, in well, the meantime. Well, that,
3: that's, a, that's a critical question that you raise. I mean, the, these, uh, again, the, these are all real differences about uh, disagreements about what is to be done. How do you fight Trump? How do you fight fascism? How do you fight dictatorship? I mean, as I, as I said, uh, you know, Trump tried to overthrow uh, democracy in the United States and establish himself as, as a dictator. And the response of Biden is we need the Republican Party. No, they, I totally agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they've just won the presidency with uh, the popular vote margin of seven million. They have both houses of Congress. Why? Why is it that they need to, to, you know, that that their central concern is uh, making sure that the the Republican Party continues to be a a major, uh, major power in in American political life? Because ultimately, in, in my view, ultimately, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party speak for two sections of this financial oligarchy. When Obama says there's an intramural scrimmage between, uh, you know, the the Republicans and the Democrats, they mean that. They, for both of them, the enemy is on the left. The enemy is is socialist opposition in, in in the working class. And we feel, look, the, the danger of, of, of dictatorship, of fascism, of, of the movement being whipped up by Trump, of fascist violence is absolute and very real. But we feel that the only way to, to oppose that is the independent mobilization of, of the working class. On the question of electoral politics, uh, we, we ran candidates uh, in the 2020 election. We feel that, you know, the working class needs to use every opportunity available to it to organize its strength, mobilize itself independently of the Democratic Party. But, you know, if, if you keep uh, subordinating all social opposition to the Democratic Party, the graveyard of all progressive social movements, the Democratic Party, it will keep happening and happening over and over and over again. It'll be one shipwreck after the other. We are trying to create the framework for getting out of that, for an intervention by the working class to fundamentally shift political life Uh, in in the United States. And ultimately, our our program is the ending of the capitalist system. I mean, capitalism says, right, you can't afford to save human lives. Go to the factories, go back to work, get infected, because Elon Musk needs another $170 billion, because Jeff Bezos needs to get wealthier, because all of these oligarchs, that, that have, can't e- have no idea even how much money they have because they're, they're just wallowing in it, they have to get wealthier. We think this, this is an insane social setup. The democratic party is dedicated to the continuation and the preservation of capitalism. And we believe what, the, the, what this year has exposed is that capitalism is fundamentally incompatible with democratic rights. Capitalism is incompatible with the social rights of the working class. And incompatible with the very preservation of human life.
2: Are you okay? Well, I have two questions. First, uh, just just not to harp on this too much, but going back to Sanders, there was I know an intramural argument w- within his campaign that they lost their ability to influence the Democratic Party when they took away the threat that they wouldn't that that Bernie would not support uh, Biden in the general election. Uh, and there's an argument to be made that basically, uh, uh, you know, millions of progressives who put their faith in, the, in this candidacy essentially lost their political power in that moment. Uh, I was just wondering what your take is on, on, on that. And then sort of be, you know, going forward, you're talking about organizing the working class and setting up committees everywhere. What the, are you concerned at all about, you know, uh, a movement that will define you as you know, an irresponsible populist uprising that that needs to be put down or, or or taken off the Internet. Look,
3: what Sanders did was was totally predictable. I mean, if you if you look on the, the analysis of the World Socialist website, we, we weren't surprised when he, when he, you know, rolled over, and supported Clinton. We weren't surprised when he rolled over and supported Biden. We warned about this because we believe that this is essential to the type of politics that, that he represents, He does not represent and Democratic, the Democratic Party politics does not represent an alternative to the capitalist social order. He's ultimately subordinated to capitalism and he's subordinated to the right wing political setup in the United States. So we feel that, you know, it wasn't just some some great tactical mistake. That tactic is the outcome of the entire strategy, which is accepting the viability of the capitalist system of the Democratic Party and the the political order in the United States. With regard uh, to to, the the threat of of, uh, criminalizing political opposition, working-class opposition, yes, we are absolutely concerned about the attempt to uh, delegitimize political opposition or even criminalize political opposition uh, in the United States. When we were talking earlier about the uh, hearings that were held in 2017, 2018, figures like Adam Schiff and Mark Warner uh, claimed basically that left-wing viewpoints were the effect of Russian disinformation, that uh, critical statements, you know, statements critical of the political establishment of war uh, would be amplified by Russia and therefore had to be suppressed. And the entire censorship drive was, was within this, this framework that you have to, that oppositional, or basically the, the political opposition is disinformation. That political opposition is fake news. So sort of the genesis of this argument uh, was was uh, the argument made by Hillary Clinton in her book when she says that WikiLeaks is sort of the, the genesis of fake news? But WikiLeaks, what what WikiLeaks put out about Iraq and Afghanistan was is not fake news. It's true news. It's what U.S. imperialism actually did in Iraq and in Afghanistan. And, and there was an effort to uh, delegitimize political opposition. On the part of, of the Democrats and their associated organizations, it was an effort to, to censor left-wing political viewpoints, socialist political viewpoints. On the part of Trump, uh, there's you know, the open effort to, to criminalize uh, left-wing politics to say that, that socialism uh, should, be, should be effectively illegal. For both factions of the political establishment, their enemy is, is on the left. And, and we think that uh, it's, it's critical that, that the, the working class be as intransigent in the defense of its own social and democratic rights as the ruling class is in, in its effort uh, to ge- delegitimize and, and suppress political opposition by the working class.
1: It's so funny because, you know, they call it fake news. It's literally like primary source documents. There's nothing you can there's nothing fake about it. Um, and yeah, this argument that that's what the Russians, you know, that's what you sound like Putin. That's a Putinist talking point. It's just such a lazy, censorious, it smearing.
2: Worked,
1: <laughs> what Matt? Sorry,
2: it, it worked.
1: I guess it did work, right? But I mean, yeah. look, you had Susan well, Rice saying that George, yeah. George Floyd, um, uh, George Floyd protests were pro- looked like the the uh, meddling of Russia. Uh, Kamala Harris said that the controversy over um, Kaepernick um, protests. Was because of you know was done by Russia or instigated or amplified by Russia. It's really scary. And and then of course, man, I talk about this a lot, but like the war stuff. You know, everyone is you know w- wants Trump to be saber rattling with Putin. Um, and something that always drives me crazy is this narrative that he's this unprecedented existential Cheeto Mussolini threat, and also needs to be harder. And more belligerent. Now. Well,
3: with regard to this this question of the, the, the foreign policy and 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 you know because there is there is two elements. What are the goals of the Democrats' effort to say that all opposition in the United States is all political opposition is the result of of Russian meddling? The first goal is an attempt to delegitimize political opposition. And in this, they're, they're using the script of the McCarthyites, the John Birch Society, that basically everything would be fine in the United States. You know, Jim Crow was great. Everybody loved it. It's just that the Russians are, you know, uh, causing trouble and outside agitators and that sort of thing. I mean, it's really the it's it's the, the same argument that was used over and over again in order during the Cold War to delegitimize political opposition has now been been leveraged uh, by the proponents of, of, of censorship. But on, the, on this question of, you know, the, the, um, the foreign policy is, is, is also a very significant element of, of this, this question, because, yes, there's the element to say that, that political opposition in the United States is not legitimate. But the entire focus of the opposition of the Democrats to Trump has been the claim that he's not sufficiently tough on Putin, right, that, that he needs to to punish Putin, that he needs to be more aggressive against Russia and now more and more, more aggressive against China. Uh, they have sought to, to demobilize mass political opposition that exists to, to the Trump administration. And that really, I mean, you saw millions of people demonstrated uh, you know, on, 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 against him after the, the election. Uh, he, he, his policies are immensely unpopulated, unpopular. The policies of herd immunity, his anti-refugee policies, you know, the, the entire pro-Wall Street orientation of, of, of his government totally, it, it is not popular, it is not supported in, in broad sections of the population. But the goal of the Democrats was to keep that opposition subordinated to their their differences with Trump, which is that he was insufficiently aggressive against in, the, in their pursuit of great power conflict, particularly with Russia. And I think that reality is also an argument for why you can't, you know, base yourself or orient to the Democratic Party because their central concern uh, was with regard to opposing Trump was that he's insufficiently belligerent, you know. And, and the, the argument is, OK, well, you have to support this party, uh, be, even though it's it's basically arguing a pro, pro-war pro stance, because that's the only way to oppose Trump. But we, Well, I think
1: that I mean, I do think that people like Ro Khanna. Um, who will work across the aisle to try, you know, and and Bernie Sanders. I mean, I I do think that one of the major kind of points that I would disagree with you on, um, even though I agree that there is with a lot of your systemic analysis, is that kind of there isn't a difference between some Democrats and the Democratic leadership. And I do think that people who are they're not as anti-imperialist as one might like. But I think it has a concrete difference when you have Democrats like Rokana. Um, and Bernie Sanders, you know, trying to stop the funding of uh, Saudi Arabia's war on Yemen.
3: Well, in 2016, I believe it was on Meet the Press. Uh, Sanders was asked, you know, what, what foreign policy uh, under his administration would look like. And I think it was Chuck Todd who asked him, uh, would, you know, would there be drones? Uh, would there be special operations? And, and uh, with regard to, you know, Obama's drone murder policy, uh, Sanders said drones, all that and more. Uh, Sanders, that's, that, funny, that's a direct quote. Uh, Thrones,
1: all that and more.
3: Yes. You know, we're going to talk about it. We're going to yes. talk about it. When, when, yeah. Yes. It, it, basically, it, exactly the way that, that you, you said it, uh, because he ultimately, you know, accepts the framework of, of American imperialism. Uh, one key difference between uh, what, you know, the, the, the politics of the Democratic Socialists of America, Sanders, and, and the World Socialist website is that the World Socialist website are, are internationalists. We say, you know, uh, we take seriously Marx's line, workers of the world unite. And we, our opposition to war is not the the criticism, for instance, that Obama or or Bernie Sanders made of the Iraq war. Well, it's not the best use of America's resources, you know, to, to particularly invade Iraq. You should maybe invade somebody else or maybe not invade someone. We do not accept the framework of American imperialism. We do not accept the, the, the fact that, that, you know, we, we call for the dismantling of, of the military, uh, the opening of borders, uh, and, and so much of the that, that is, you know, you can't have socialism within the framework of the nation state. You know, it's, we're not proposing a solution just for, the, for America. We are an international movement. We have sections in Sri Lanka, in Germany, in the UK, in Australia, in France, And the perspective is is the the same, you know, both in the developed world, in developing countries, the international unity of the working class. And I think that's that is so absolutely critical under conditions in which there is this effort to demonize, whether it's Russia, whether it's China to say the problem uh, is, you know, China taking American jobs or or American workers needing to, to, you know, defend their own jobs against Chinese workers we call for the unity of of the working class and our opposition to imperialism and imperialist war is 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 you know goes hand in hand with that
1: yeah i just think that less imperialism is better than status quo even if it's not as good as def- as eradicating imperialism and because it has such concrete impacts on people's lives. It's just like literally fewer people dying. And I think that, you know, this to some extent doesn't matter, to some extent it does. But I think Sanders is much more of a peacenick internationalist, really, behind closed doors. That doesn't matter once you're president or Senate, you have to govern within a certain obviously frame ideological framework and power framework. But I do really think that those things would make a difference. Well, you know, it's 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 sort of what Yemeni kids
2: and
3: what you get, you know, you it says on the box, less imperialism, less war. What you get with Obama is Terror Tuesdays.
2: You know, I mean, <laughs> to end on a note, at least for me, uh, Katie actually was jokingly asking you about the, the the Trotsky documentary on on Netflix. Could you talk Seriously, a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah. Well, uh, I I would
3: want to talk about uh, uh, Trotsky. I, I, I with regard to the Trotsky documentary, uh, you you can read our review on the the, the WSWS, which is a, just a a really foul and slanderous attack, actually anti-Semitic. Mm. Uh, you know, basically with, with state support, actually, from within the Russian government. I, the, l- ironically, Trotsky, right. Which, which, I mean, points to the, the, the degree to which in every government, you know, in every, in every right. country, uh, how much political opposition is, is, is feared. In Russia, in Russia no, no more than any or no less than anywhere else. Right. But I think this question of, of the role of Leon Trotsky is, is really critical because the entire orientation of the World Socialist website and of the International Committee is this idea that the past isn't past. That you can't see any uh, political problem outside of the the uh, of the historical experiences, particularly of the 20th century. Uh, David North, uh, the the chairman of our editorial board, has a book entitled "The Unfinished 20th Century," and and I think that's a that's a very very apt framework for for what we're we're living in. The the lessons of the 1930s are are critical, and. The Fourth International, which is the, the political organization founded by Leon Trotsky in opposition to Stalinism, he, Trotsky exposed all of the crimes and betrayals that, that Trotsky, or that, that, that Stalin was carrying out. He opposed them. He sought to publicize against them. He sought a change in policy. What prompted the formation of the, the call for the formation of the Fourth International was Hitler's seizure, seizure of power under conditions when the Communist Party did nothing. There was not a shot fired in, in opposition. Uh, it was wildly vacillating, either from saying that, that, you know, the social democracy is a bigger enemy than Hitler, then to the politics of, of, of the Popular Front and subordinating all political opposition to, uh, you know, the international equivalent of the Democratic Party. The Fourth International was sort of that That was the crucible of the Fourth International, the opposition to the. Uh, Hitler's seizure of power, the rise of fascism in Europe in in the 1930s, and and the complete inability of the Stalinist parties to oppose it. And and why why could they not oppose it? Because ultimately, in the analysis of Trotsky, the Stalinist parties were subordinated to the social interests of a sort of bureaucracy in in Moscow. What they feared above all was an actual revolutionary movement throughout Europe and, and throughout the world which could upend all sorts of arrangements that you know the Stalinist bureaucracy uh, was making in, in, in the Soviet Union. And on the basis of this analysis, Trotsky's, Trotsky's conclusion was that the working class needs a completely independent political organization, independent of the Stalinist Communist Party internationally, independent of the equivalent of the Democratic Party around the world, the Democratic Party in the United States, that the working class needs to be politically independent. That's the central central conception of Trotsky's life. That's what he constantly fought for. And that's what he bequeathed to us. And that we, the World Socialist website, the International Committee proceeds on, on that basis, that to the extent that the working class is not politically armed and mobilized on the basis of an independent political perspective, it's just raw material for exploitation. That You could have thousands of people dying every day and, and it's as if, it's, you know, as if there's no, pol- no conceivable policy other than this. And that's why we call for, for the working class to intervene in all aspects of, of, of social life. The, the necessity to save human lives in the pandemic, the necessity to defend democratic rights, the necessity to fight social inequality and for, for, for you know, the, the redistribution of wealth and the provision of the most basic social necessities for millions of people. I mean, this is a country in which right now, as we speak, millions of children are hungry. Tens of, tens of millions of people are, are, are hungry under conditions in which the the financial oligarchy have more wealth than anyone can imagine. It's a completely mad social order, and we think it's critical that the working class opposes it, and I think there are growing signs of that happening.
2: Excellent. Well, Andre, thank you so much for yeah, uh, for somewhere. coming on. Always, I mean, I, I, I encourage people to who haven't done so to check out your website because there's a lot of uh, you know, in addition to to everything else, there's there's a lot of uh, interesting and surprising reporting uh, that that you've done. A lot of a lot of courageous stuff, and um, uh, so definitely encourage people to check it out. Thanks so much for coming on having a, having are. a talk with us, and uh, wish you luck.
3: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
1: Wow, that was interesting. That was great.
2: It really was. I mean, look, I I, I disagree with him about a lot of things, and and um, you know my my politics are obviously a lot different. But I, You're I much
1: more of a Stalinist than a Trot.
2: <laughs> I just uh, I, I have low faith in political doctrines generally. I kind of think they all they all tend to get corrupted in the end. But I I mean I I think. You know, what what that site has has been in the last four years has been really, really interesting. They've leveled a lot of critiques that are really that are really persuasive. I think their their critique of the Democratic Party, you know, is is kind of painfully true in a lot of respects and raises a lot of questions that, you know, especially for people who supported Sanders that are that, you know, might be painful, painful to think about. But, um, you know, are worth considering. Look, this is
1: my fate. Look, people are just (laughs) listening and not watching. I've put my head in my hands. I'm looking down. Well, you know, the painful issues are going through my mind. Yeah.
2: Well, they are painful. But look, you know, Bernie. I mean, I think he's totally sincere in his in his political orientation. But he is, um, you know, he's nostalgically attached to the Democratic Party. He has tremendous like, faith in this idea that it's going to rehabilitate itself and become, like, an FDR-style party again. And, you know, there's a strong argument to be made that that, um, that's never going to be, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, honestly, it's like, who knows if he thought it would happen or if he just thought that. I mean, I think he was running to win, but I think he also knew that no matter what happened, he was going to be able to or was trying to push things to the left which would not just be the right thing, but of course I think make Clinton, especially and, and Biden more electable. Um, I guess I do see this tension. Like I, I if you do think Trump is worse than Biden, I guess I see a tension between the abandonment of electoral politics and the acknowledgement of Trump as a as a danger.
2: Well, the I think the argument that they would, that a lot of people would make, I don't know if Andre would make it or, but, but I, th- I think, there are people who say, "Look, we get sucked into this decision every single time, right?" This
1: yes, I agree. I agree. Right,
2: and so what, it, what ends up happening is you end up getting a re- repeat of the same phenomenon over and over again, where uh, essentially a progressive movement ultimately just gets absorbed uh, into a larger structure that sure. ignores all of its concerns. So, the, uh, so the only way to legitimately push in in a in a real direction is to is to be separate you know that's like the chris hedges argument it's like I, I i would i would have i would have supported uh sanders except that he's a democrat right that's what he always says sanders
1: uh, is not what do they say he's not a democrat not right. even a democrat it's like yeah do you realize what you're saying you wanted him to run as an independent how would have that worked out exactly. how would that have worked out yeah
2: Anyway, yeah. interesting stuff and you know on 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 the speech front, you know, they were they did a lot of research uh, and they were they were successful in getting this issue in front of a lot of yeah reporters that normally wouldn't pay attention to a site like theirs so i thought that was interesting anyway uh that was great it was uh it was was interesting and um you know we'll see you know but by next week probably the world will change a thousand times over and thanks so much for listening everybody stay safe next week is going to be insane be well everybody and healthy and have have a good weekend and we'll see you next week
0: (laughs)